Last time on Culture File, we heard the first part of our conversation with philosopher of pain, Jennifer Corns, in our teachers at Glasgow University. We heard then about the complexities of knowing what pain is, never mind how to quantify it. This time, Corns explains her ideas of what pain is for, why it exists, and what we might do with it. It's wrong to say, oh, pain has this function. <laughs> Rather, you know, we've evolved to have systems that have these detective functions, and those are great. And we've evolved to have systems that have these motivational functions, and those are great. And we'll get pain, the thing that we call pain, when these things come together, you know, in a certain way that we easily recognize and identify. In philosophy, at least, there are at least three views, and then there's my more controversial view. So you might think the function of pain, the sort of more traditional view, is that it's the thing that alerts you to damage in the body. So even though in everyday life we kind of think about physical pain and mental pain, historically, medically speaking, people have focused on the physical pain as being the real pain, if you like. <laughs> the function, biologically, has been thought to be this sort of damage detection. Another function it might be is to motivate you to action. And so it's not about detecting damage, it's about getting you to do something. So it's a motivational function. So what's the function of pain? What's well, to get me to pull my hand off the stove? It's not to sort of tell me, hey, your hand's about to get burnt. It's instead to tell you, hey, get your hand off that stove. And you can see how those are slightly different functions. On my view, I actually think the problem with trying to pick out a single function of pain is the same problem we saw before in trying to pick out something like a single treatment for pain or a single area for pain or a single pathway for pain. So I think what's going on is that the different components of pain each serve different functions. So the sensory component of pain, the role there is informative, right? And that information is really valuable. Similarly, there's affect, and it sure looks to me like affect is the best candidate for something that gives you this motivational function. The pleasantness bit is the thing that gets you to do something, right? Um, that gets you to get your hand off the stove. That looks like a really good candidate for the function of the affective bit. And again, that affective bit is sometimes a component of pain. And when it is, then pain will also have that function. It will also get you to take your hand off the stove. But I think it's wrong to say that pain itself has either one of those functions, because sometimes we can have pains that don't have the affect and sometimes we can have pains that don't have the sensation and we can certainly have some pains that don't have both of those. The language around pain is so basic. I guess that makes your research quite interesting and difficult to try and gauge what someone's actually trying to say or describe. I think that's a really important question because it is quite difficult. One thing that might explain that is when I'm telling you that I'm in pain, even something like, ouch, that hurts, but certainly when I'm saying, ah, I have this horrible pain in my head, or you think I go to the doctor and I say, oh, I have this pain in my toe. What I'm telling you is there's this thing happening, <laughs> this very complex thing that I need help for. All pain is, is this really complex experience. If I want to get in there and help you, or I want to start being able to talk about it, if I want to get to a place where I've got more language, I have to get more specific. And now we can focus on which thing I'm talking about. So I can now start talking instead about my emotions surrounding my toe. So I can look at that cognitive value bit. And then notice we have all sorts of language for that. So I can talk about my fear in great detail, or I can talk about my anxiety. You know, we learn how to have these sorts of conversations. Or I can talk about the unpleasantness. So I I can talk about how sore it is, when it's sore, what makes it sore. I can also talk about the sensations themselves. Is it tingly? Is it burny? 
you know, there's words there. So it's true. We don't have a lot of words, I think, certainly in English. Um, and to my knowledge, not many others. I've only looked at a few other languages and have yet to find a language where there are quite a lot of descriptions about the pain itself. However, we do have in English and in other languages quite a lot of words to talk about unpleasantness, quite a lot of words to talk about our emotions and our evaluations, quite a lot of words to talk about our sensations. So I think the fact that we have quite a lot of vocabulary for these things that on my view are really the things we should be focusing for treatment that can be a big help to us do you think there's maybe a few things that we should try ourselves a few more like self-soothing methods yes i think we should i think to some extent we we already do so in some ways i think everyday people tend to be already better than <laughs> academics or sometimes medical people you know if you really listen to a person who's been dealing with pain for a long time, certainly chronic pain, you know, people kind of know what works for them and have a real sense of their own bodies and their own minds and what to do about it. But if people are struggling, I mean, simple things, right? Things like deep breaths and stretching and massaging and taking a bath, (laughs) you know, these things are things that target the sensory aspects of things in your body. The unpleasantness itself is something else that you can fiddle with. Think about counterbalancing nasty experiences with pleasant experiences that can make a difference. So putting on some music that you like. One of my favorite stories of somebody who had chronic pain, there was a person who had terrible chronic pain and they learned how to play the piano. And this pain that they'd suffered for years and years um, went away. (laughs) They sort of healed by enjoying this music. So there's an affective side of things that I think in some ways is the least obvious, but also those are real, I think, serious interventions that can matter for some serious pains, both both physical and psychological. We're quicker to do things that numb, which is not quite the same. So that that's something else, of course, we can do, and it's something we often do. So there's a kind of escapism or anesthetic. So when you have a drink, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't just dull the affect, you kind of dull everything. That's a different kind of intervention than an, a genuinely straight up positive experience where you're seeking something that you know gives you positive affect or gives you direct pleasure, as opposed to something that sort of flattens everything out. Those are different. So television too, or like movies. Sometimes those things give us positive pleasure, especially if there's something in particular that we want to watch. Sometimes those kind of things are things that right flatten out our affect. We kind of tune off, <laughs> tune out, turn all the affect down. After doing a bunch of work on the placebo effect and the nocebo effect a few years ago, I really tell myself now when I take medicine, this is going to help me. (laughs) And just telling myself that, even though I know that what I'm doing is engaging the cognitive mechanisms in my brain, and that's going to have a sort of downstream effect on the sensory affective mechanisms, that is what's happening and it works. And if you tell yourself something's going to be great or you tell yourself something's going to be terrible, that can really make it better or worse for you. And the same is true for pain. Telling yourself that this thing is going to help can actually make it help. And that gets a bad rap, like you're it's, you're being tricked or something because there's a sort of history of, you know, homeopathy and some other things that we're now quite distrustful of. And it's true, people shouldn't make claims about their interventions that aren't true <laughs> or aren't accurate. But here's a claim about interventions that's true for all interventions, which is what you believe about what you're doing affects how your body processes what it's taking in because your beliefs are part of your brain body complex. Your beliefs matter for how you feel. Um, So the more you can use that to your advantage, you know, the better.
Philosopher Jennifer Corns there and the reporter was Anya Gallagher. And Dr Corns' book, The Complex Reality of Pain, is out now.